Hello, this is Lorenzo Della Foresta, and I'm the lead pastor at River's Edge. Welcome to our podcast. Thank you for joining us. I hope this talk inspires you, encourages you, and transforms you. Today is the continuation of a spiritual conversation that has been taking place between you and Jesus. I'm certain that you'll be blessed by His Word, and I believe that God has great things in store for you because you already belong. Enjoy the message. Well, thank you for that. And I know that when we think of some stories in the Bible, they tend to impact us a little bit more than others. There are some stories that we're just not as familiar with. And I believe that Nehemiah is one of those stories. Nehemiah was someone who was a cupbearer to the king. A Jew had been taken into captivity. And as he found himself in a foreign place, in a foreign land, serving a foreign king, he continued to have his relationship with God. It didn't stop him from praying to him and believing that God still had a purpose and a plan for his life. One of the things that Nehemiah does in this story is that he doesn't allow his circumstances to change what God has in store for him. And many times in our own life, we allow circumstances to have way too much power over God's plan and purposes for our life. We let exterior things affect us way too much. We let interior turmoil affect us way too much. And as a result, they derail us from being able to fulfill what God has in store for us. So what we learn in the story of Nehemiah is really how to stay focused and continue to move forward in our life even though it looks like our best laid plans are not coming to fruition. And the persistence and the consistency and the continuance of faith that Nehemiah shows in all of these circumstances is something to emulate in our own lives. And what we're going to do today is that we're going to look at specific things that Nehemiah does specifically when it comes to facing his own fears. I don't know what it is that you are particularly afraid of, but I know that there are many things that can bring fear into our lives. Uh, there's a Canadian author and writer of a book called Station Eleven, and they wrote this best-selling book, and it's been turned into a TV series. And it's about a flu pandemic that wipes out most of the population. Only one in 1,000 survive. And it's the events of this crew of people and what they go through in this story that has kept many people away from it, not going towards it because it's just too real to what we've been living in the last couple of years. And so it's a great book and an even just a great series as well, but people are staying away from it because it's tapping into their fears. Sometimes we do that. We don't want something that's too close to our own reality. We're trying to escape our reality. We're trying to escape what it is that we are going through. Uh, we don't want to head towards that. We want to head away from it. We want distractions. What we want is entertainment. We want to forget. We want things to take our mind 
off of our problems, not remind us of what they are. And sometimes those things are directly linked to our fears, our fears of outcomes, of plans not coming to pass, of things that we hope for, want, and expect, but yet may not see realized. Well, there's a few things that Nehemiah does when he goes in to see the king. And the first thing that he does, and I think it's important for all of us to do, is that he was able to admit his feelings. He was able to admit that he was afraid, that he had fear. And this is what it says in Nehemiah 2, I was scared, but I replied, Long live the king. Why shouldn't I be sad? For the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been burned down. Nehemiah was not afraid to speak of how he was afraid. Many times that's what holds us back from being able to go forward is our inability to be transparent about what it is that we are actually going through. The second thing that Nehemiah does is when he admits these feelings is that he also prays very quickly before speaking. And the Bible tells us again in Nehemiah 2 that the king replied to me, well, what is it that you want? And then Nehemiah says, I prayed again to the God of heaven. Now, he's doing this while in the presence of the king. So you can't go into this long prayer. You can't jump out onto his knees. He doesn't have time to go into this long, elaborate, intercessory session. So what he does is that he does what most of us do in moments when we are confronted with something that scares us. We say things like, Lord, help me. Come to my rescue. Save me, deliver me, give me courage, give me strength, give me favor. And in those moments and when we are before something that produces and elicits fear in us, we have an incredible moment where we can reach out to God and pray. I don't know if that's in your form, if that's in your function, if that's what you do, if that's what you, mainly you don't do, but I need you to get into this habit of whispering prayers. That before you speak, you say, God, give me the words. That before you even have an opportunity to reply, you say, Lord, let me not mess up this moment. That even before you're about to respond with the fear and maybe because you're scared and because you're going to say too much or not enough or maybe say the wrong thing or you missed the key point that you wanted to deliver so badly. And in that moment, what you need to remember is that every moment is a moment where you can turn to God and you can pray. And that's what Nehemiah teaches us. That's what he shows us. It's one of the most glorious instances in scriptures that we see someone just whispering a prayer to God in his mind before he has to address even the king with whom he is ultimately afraid of speaking with about what the burden is that God has put on his heart. The third thing is that Nehemiah establishes a very clear target. He's very focused about what it is that he's going to ask. And so after praying, he says, I answered. If it pleases your majesty, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, then I want you to send me to the city in Judah where my ancestors are buried so that I can 
rebuild it. Now there's this thing called an elevator pitch. Someone asks you what you're supposed to be about and what you are doing in life and what it is that you want people to invest in or maybe what it is that you want people to understand that you need their help for. It's basically the fewest number of words required to describe something that people can just catch it. People can just get behind it, just understand it and then apply it and then move forward with it and do so with a clear understanding of what it is, not only that you're about, but that maybe they can be a part of too. And that's exactly what Nehemiah needed. He needed God to give him the words so that the king would just get it. That his fear wouldn't stop him. That the wrong words wouldn't prevent him. That everything that would happen after he'd explained it, that he would get a yes. I want you to imagine that God wants to give you that kind of favor. The kind of favor that when you go before God and you pray, in spite of your fears, that you can hear from God so clearly that he can give you the words so exact that when you speak them, that kings will want to get behind you and help you achieve what it is that God has put on his heart for you to do. That's favor. It's the kind of thing that comes and descends from God himself that is placed upon your life that no one can take away, that no one can stop, that no one, even if they tried, could prevent. Because God is in control, he's able to take the mind of a king who would never release Nehemiah and would allow him to go and rebuild the walls in Jerusalem and he makes him one of his rulers and makes him a ruler over his territory and so it's important for us to now begin to tell the story of Nehemiah who now has had the opportunity to rebuild the walls now I know we're jumping ahead and and I know that there's a great nine chapters in Nehemiah that I would, I would encourage you to read and, uh, and, and read the whole story. It's a short story, but it's a great one. But when we pick it up, it's, it's important for me to highlight what happens in this story because of what has to happen in Nehemiah's life for him to see the results that God intends. And so the first thing I want to do is read to you from the scriptures. And it says that Sambalat, Tobiah, Geshem, and the rest of our enemies heard that I had rebuilt the wall. And look at this, it says, and that no gap, no gap was left in it, though at the time I had not installed the doors in the city gates. And Sambalat and Geshem sent a message and they said, come, let's meet together in the villages of the Ono Valley and they were planning to harm me. So I sent messengers to them saying, I am doing important work, look at this, and I cannot come down, and why should the work cease while I leave it and go down to you? 
Now, the first thing I want to point out here is that there was no gap left in the wall. There was no gap left in the wall. But, unfortunately, he had not had time to install the doors. And so let me ask you something, and I think this is important. What door, what door has not been installed and what door maybe has been left open? What entrance has been left open to allow for fear and intimidation and manipulation to occur in your life today? Because while Nehemiah is proud of the fact that his wall is built, unfortunately, even though he says there are no gaps in it, there are entrances with no doors. And so when the fear and the intimidation comes into his life, Nehemiah says, I am doing important work and he says, I cannot come down because he's saying, I know that this city is not yet secure. And you coming to me and telling me to stop my work is not going to work. It's not going to, I'm not going to allow my work to cease just because you come and ask me to. And listen, I don't know about you, but I'm a guy who allows a lot of distractions in his life. I'm a guy who feels he can handle it. I don't mind when someone interrupts. Uh, if someone comes in and starts to talk to me while I'm doing something and focusing on something, I'm okay with that. I'm not someone who gets annoyed by that. I actually look for, you know, distractions. I, sometimes I'll walk through the house looking for people to bother in my household. Even though I've got important things to do, things I should be doing, I'm looking for someone else to talk to, someone else to ask questions to, just to see what they're up to and so on and so forth. I know I'm like this. But what I love about Nehemiah is that he does not allow for these distractions to prevent him and to keep him from the work that he has to do. He knows that while the wall is secure, the entrances are not. He knows exactly where the openings are. He knows exactly where the gaps are. He knows exactly what needs to be addressed. He knows exactly that if he stops what he's doing, this is not going to get done. And if it doesn't get done, here's what's going to happen. The enemy is going to keep coming. And it's going to get behind the walls. And they won't just be a voice outside of it. It'll be an enemy within it. And so what God is reminding us is how important it is for us not to have the tendency, listen to this, to overreact or to interact with fear. And this is what could have happened in Nehemiah's life. He could have overreacted to this request. But he says to them, I will not stop my work and come down to you. And he doesn't overreact 
and then he chooses not to interact. Now think about all the times when we overreact and we interact. Way too much. And the enemy keeps us from finishing our task. From fulfilling our plan. From living out our purpose. From going out and accomplishing everything that God intended for our lives. The scriptures say that Sambalad sent me this same message. And look at this. He sent it a fifth time. How many times did he keep coming? So far, five. This guy's relentless, right? Say, so if he didn't come the first time, he'll come the second. If he didn't come the second, he'll come the third. If he doesn't come the third time, he'll come the fourth. If he doesn't come the fourth, he'll come the fifth. He's going to keep coming. And I'm telling you that these enemies that are trying to prevent this wall from being built and every gap filled and every door installed is a perfect representation of what Satan does. He will not relent. He will keep coming. He will come after you time and time again to make sure that you do not fulfill your purpose, that you do not finish the plan. He will not stop. And so you need to be aware of that, that just because you repelled it the first time doesn't mean it won't come a second. It doesn't mean it won't come a third, a fourth, or a fifth time. It's going to keep coming. Now, when you sent a message in those days, you made sure that message was sealed. You made sure that it had a wax seal on it, that no one had tampered it, no one had opened it, no one had read the message. But you know what these guys did? The Bible says that they didn't just go back five times, but they went back five times with an open letter. You know why they did that? Because they wanted everybody to know what was in that letter. And they wanted everybody to be aware of how they could try to stop Nehemiah. And you know how they were going to do it? They were going to do it through gossip and they were going to do it through rumor. They were going to do it with misrepresentation and lies. They were going to do it with hatred. They were going to do it with manipulation. They were going to do whatever they could just so that if they were not able to do it, if enough people knew and believed the lie, then they might be able to stop Nehemiah. And that's another tactic that the enemy has. Sometimes he comes with one person, and then sometimes he comes by the hundreds and thousands. And if he can't get you to stop because he sends one messenger, he's going to try to send as many as he can. And he works through rumors, and he works through gossip, and he works through lies. And he does that so that he can stop you. But you have to stand firm in who you are. You are a son and daughter of God. He is your father. Jesus Christ isn't just your savior. He is your brother in the holy family. That you have the power of the Holy Spirit not only working in you, but also working through you. That it doesn't matter what others around are saying, 
and what they're believing. What matters is that you know the truth and that the God of truth is on your side. And Nehemiah knew this and he didn't allow even the five requests to come to him and deter him from what he had to do. He had a job to do and he didn't care what lies were being spread about him. And the lies were really just simply saying, the reason Nehemiah is rebuilding these walls is because he doesn't want to be the guy in charge of a city that belongs to you, king. No, he wants to become the king. And once those walls are built, he's going to take the throne and he's going to proclaim himself to be king. That was the lie. And this was the lie that was also sent to the king. And so imagine Nehemiah, how he would have felt about this. I got to put an end to this. I got to stop this. This is lie is a lie. This rumor is not true. This is just gossip. None of this is real. Have you ever overreacted and interacted way too much with lies and with gossip and rumors and allowed it for it to penetrate your mind and your heart and ruin your day, your week, your month, possibly your year and years? Because of something that wasn't even true? I want you to think about how this happened not only in Nehemiah's life, but how it's happened in your own. Nehemiah says there is nothing to these rumors that you are spreading. You have invented them and you've done so in your own mind. And Nehemiah says, I will not allow myself to be distracted by this. I am going to stay focused on my purpose and on my plan. And so even this open letter in his hand, it did absolutely nothing. The fact that it was unsealed, the fact that everybody had read the message, everybody knew what it was about, it was done intentionally. It's like someone sending out an email and making sure everybody gets it and then saying it wasn't intentional, but it was. It was a message that was sent for you, but somehow everybody got it. These are things that happen in the real world and they happened back then. And it was done with strategy and it was done with a desire to destroy and to keep the work from being completed. In Nehemiah 6.6, in it, it was written, it was reported among, listen to this, the nations. How far did this rumor go? It went to all the nations. I mean, it was spread everywhere. It wasn't just, you know, local. This thing had gone global. This is how bad it was. So sometimes we think that we're the only ones going through stuff like this. Sometimes we think that we're the only ones to face something like this in our lives. But I want you to see that in this story, guess what happens? Nehemiah faces it and lives it, and he doesn't allow this misinformation campaign to keep him from fulfilling the plan that God has him. Even though they were saying that Nehemiah was leading a revolt, the only thing Nehemiah was focused on was the plan that he had given to the king. 
I want to rebuild the city walls of where my ancestors are buried. I love that. I love that he was that focused. I love that he didn't allow for things like this to come into his life and, and distract him and deter him from what he was supposed to be doing. In verse 9, it says that they were all trying to intimidate us, saying that they are going to drop their hands from their work. Look at this. And that it will never be finished. But now, he says, my God, strengthen my hand. So the two things that he knows they're intending to do is that he's, he knows that these rumors are there so that the workers that are th working are going to be discouraged and they'll stop working. So even if Nehemiah, listen, even if Nehemiah is focused, maybe the people will get unfocused. That even if Nehemiah is strong, well, maybe the people will become fearful. That even though Nehemiah is not allowing this to be a distraction, his team is. And so what Nehemiah does is something that we all have to do in our own lives when we're facing these kinds of challenges. Is that we not only have to pray that God strengthens our hands, but we have to pray for our team Pray for our family, pray for our spouses, pray for our children, pray for those that are closest to us so that they too will not drop their hands. Can we say amen to that? Nehemiah gives us a key here in that he actually starts with they will not drop their hands and then says, Lord, strengthen the work of my hands because he sees it as one thing. He sees it as collaborative. It's a collective. It's a community. It's not just him, but it's everybody that needs to do this with him. And so what Nehemiah does is that he prays for those so that they do not drop their hands and prays that God would strengthen his. And we've got to do that in our own lives. When we go out into this world and we try to fulfill a plan and a purpose, hey, we are not going to do anything on our own. But every day we're going to have to fight that battle on our own. Every day we're going to have to wake up and we are going to have to go out into this world and we are going to have to face this fear that we are going to fail. But God is going to remind us that he isn't just giving us favor on our lives and a plan and a purpose to see us fail, but he's doing it to see us succeed. And that it doesn't matter how many people come against us, because he is for us, there is no one who's actually against us who will succeed. We will be victorious when we are with God, moving forward in his plan and in his purpose for our lives. How often do you pray for your hands to be strengthened? How often do you pray for the hands of your team to be strengthened? Your spouse and your girlfriend and your fiancé, the person that God has yet to bring into your life, so you can be well surrounded, well supported, so you can go through life with someone who believes like you do, who has the same plan and purpose for their life, that that alignment can be there regardless of the circumstances that may come against you. One of the greatest things that can 
just destroy us and, and one of the greatest factors that can split us and, and that can bring about division in our lives is a, is a lack of unity. And when you don't have a, a plan and a purpose and, and when you don't have alignment on those things, there's no way that you're going to be able to go anywhere. The Bible makes it clear. It says, how can two people even walk together? How can they if they don't even agree on the direction. And many times we just find ourselves just with someone or surrounded by people who just don't have the same direction. They don't have the same morals and values. They don't believe the same principles and live by them the way that you do. They don't uphold the same truths and they don't go to the same God and they don't put their faith in the same Jesus and they don't surrender to the authority of the sacred scriptures the way that you do. And when you don't have these things in your life, you are not going to see success. You're not going to be able to go as far and do as much and be everything that God has intended for your life if you do not have these things. We're going to move on to the next point. There's so much more I'd like to share with you, but I'm going to stick to my time. And, and, and keep in mind that after Nehemiah praised this about strengthening his hands, there's another principle that he brings to our attention. And we're going to go on to the next principle. The next principle that we are going to look at is how in verse 10, he gets told by a messenger someone who he thinks is a prophet, by the way, someone who thinks they have a word from the Lord for him, that the thing that he needs to do next is that he needs to run into the temple and he needs to barricade himself in there because someone's coming to kill him. And so they're not just threatening the work anymore and they're not just simply threatening an invasion by the king's armies because he believes that maybe they're going to restore these walls, build the gates, and then all of a sudden he's going to, throne, uh, go to the throne and make himself king. But, but there's something else going on here, and that's the death threats are starting to come. Um, have you ever gotten a death threat? And I don't mean in elementary. I mean, like, I think I, I, think I got threatened more in elementary and maybe high school than I had ever uh, as an adult. But I don't know, that happened a lot to me for some reason. I'm sure it had nothing to do with who I was. Uh, but there were a lot of, I'll kill you. Um, you know, I'm going to kill you. I remember saying that a lot. I remember hearing it a lot when I, was, when I was growing up. I don't know what it was about my neighborhood, but maybe your neighborhood was different. But there was a lot of that. And, and, and I mean, like, have you ever experienced the kind of death threat that makes you want to run into a place of refuge and safety or run away from where you are just to be safe? And this is where Nehemiah is at. Like, this is the place where he is in. He's in a place where he's really afraid for his life. And when the council comes, hey, why don't you go and hide in the temple? Nehemiah has to make a decision. Because the option of going into the temple is something that is real. It's present. It's there. It's available. And I guess it was a place that was secure enough that he could do it. It turns out that there was a, an assassin waiting for him in the temple. But you know what Nehemiah was thinking about the whole time when this plan was being presented? 
He was thinking about something else. He was thinking about whether or not it was allowed by God for him to go into that temple. And to me, that tells me something about Nehemiah that maybe I don't have enough of in my life, and maybe you'll understand it as I explain it. In that moment, because he's God's man for the moment, and in that moment, because he's God's man to build this and sent by God, wouldn't God ultimately want to save him at all costs? <clears throat> wouldn't God want to protect him no matter what? Wouldn't God want to be the one who rescues him? And wouldn't this be part of that plan and part of that purpose and, and maybe even part of how he gets to live another day and finish the job? But there's something that disturbs Nehemiah about what's being asked, and it's that he knows, he knows that the Word of God is above every circumstance. And that when he doesn't know what to do next, he's going to turn to the Scriptures and he's going to see what the Scriptures say. And there's two things that he says. He says, am I going to be the kind of guy who runs away? And two, am I even allowed to be in the temple? And so he makes a decision about the person that he's going to be. He's going to be a person who's not going to be governed by fear, but he's going to be a person who's governed by faith. He's going to put his faith and trust in God, and he's not going to fear man. And it's, and it's beautiful because Jesus, later on in the gospel, says, never fear man. Never fear man, he says. Fear instead what can kill the spirit. Not who can kill the body, but who can kill the spirit. Because if you are worried about someone, worry about God. Like be concerned first with who God is, what he wants for your life. Don't concern yourselves with human threats. Instead, instead focus on what God wants for your life. Isn't that beautiful? It just puts things in perspective. When we are ready to run, when we are ready to leave our, our purpose and plan behind, when we are ready to go and hide, when we are ready to save ourselves because we've gone as far as we can and, and we're not going to put our life on the line here. This is ridiculous. Why would I do that when I have a great option in front of me and I can run into the sacred space? And I love the fact that it's the sacred space of protection and worship where the presence of God is, that he's being told to go and run into, but instead of running into that place to be safe, there's actually someone there waiting to kill him. And what Nehemiah remembers is what the book of Numbers says. And the book of Numbers says this in this beautiful verse. And what, and what Nehemiah does is that he remembers the command of God and he remembers what what is being said there. And in Numbers, if we could go to that verse, we're going to find that Numbers is what he needs. It's what he has to remember. And, and, and that's what God wants to do. He wants to bring to remembrance the scriptures that are going to help us turn to God and to trust in God. And so it's important for us to hear this verse, and I'm going to find it for you. 
And it's uh, Numbers 18, verse 7. And it says, but you and your sons, look at this, are going to carry out your priestly responsibilities for everything concerning the altar, for what is inside the curtain, and you will do that work. I'm giving you the work of the priesthood as a gift. But look at this. But an unauthorized person who comes near the sanctuary will be put to death. Nehemiah knew that that place was only reserved for the priesthood. He knew that he couldn't go in there. It wasn't his place. And that even though it was being offered as an option and as a place for his salvation, it was not the place that God wanted him to be. God had given him the plan and the purpose to build the walls, but he had not given him the plan and the purpose to reestablish the priesthood in the temple and certainly not given him the role and the responsibility to go and hide there. And so he turned to the scriptures. Let me ask you something. When you are confronted with fear, who do you run to? What do you run into to be safe? Nehemiah turned to the scriptures and said, I'm hearing a prophecy, listen, a spiritual prophecy that is telling me to go into the temple to be safe. And instead what he does is that he turns to the scriptures and he says, no, the scriptures prohibit me from going into the temple. I will not go there. And why would I run into the temple? What does that say about me as a leader if I do such a thing? If God wants me to give my life outside of the temple, then that's what I'll do. And instead, he is saved because the assassin is within the walls of the temple and he has observed the word of God. Turn to the scriptures. Let that be your foundation. Let that be your guide. Let that be your purpose in all things. Don't let it hold you back from anything that God has in store for you. When you hear even prophetic words, even counsel, biblical counsel, advice, there's so much teaching and preaching and, 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 and words out there telling us to do this and telling us to do that, doing this and doing that. And sometimes we're so confused about what it is. Let me tell you something. The word of God is clear. Man's interpretation is confusing. Religious leaders confuse the scriptures, but God does not contradict himself. And you can always find the contradictions. That's what Nehemiah did. Run into the temple. No, I can't go there. I'm not authorized. I'm not authorized. Beautiful that he had this guidance in his life. I'm going to stop here. There's so much more. They're in the notes. I would encourage you to download them, take a look at them. There's other points that can be made there. And I pray that it encourages you and helps you. But I wanted to highlight these main areas when it comes to facing fears. The way that Nehemiah did it is a guide for us in our own lives. And it's a way for us to understand how he is there to help us do what needs to be done. I'm going to invite the worship team to come back and, and get ready for us as we close and wrap up this service. And I want you to trust in God's judgment. I don't want you to trust in your vengeance. I don't want you to trust in revenge. I don't want you to trust in human justice. I want you to trust in God's justice. 
I want you to trust in him. I want you to trust in how Nehemiah prays, leaving everything in God's hands. And he prays for himself and he prays for his team. I want you to take a look at your wall and see if there's any gaps in it. If there's any doors that maybe have not yet been installed. I want you to focus on your purpose and plan. And no matter how many times the enemy comes, you're going to keep saying, no, I'm going to stay focused on my plan. You can come five times a day. I'm going to keep doing what I've been called to do. It doesn't matter how many times the enemy comes. It doesn't matter how many rumors it spreads. It doesn't matter what it says, what lies, what misinformation it spreads. It doesn't matter. You will continue to put your faith and trust in God. You will uphold the word of God above all circumstances, and you will not allow for even what is spiritual or prophetic in your life to lead you astray, because you will turn to the word of God and you will say, what does God's word say? Lord, make it clear so that I can stay on my purpose and fulfill your plan. And Lord, I thank you for every person that is here today, for everyone that is taking this in and being brought into this community of faith through your word and the things that we all need to be reminded of today and all the things that we need to be able to experience together. I pray that you would empower us with your word and deliver us with your spirit and fill us with your wisdom and love and give us that guidance that we so desperately need to remain focused on the plan and the purposes that you have for our lives. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us on the River's Edge podcast. I encourage you to take the message you have just received and allow it to go deeply into your soul. Let Jesus do the work that only he can do. A heartfelt thank you to all those that generously give to River's Edge and make this podcast possible. You too can be a part of spreading this message and creating life change all over the world by going to riversedge.life slash give. You can also subscribe, rate, and share this podcast. Thanks again for listening and God bless you immensely.